The Coin Week podcast is brought to you by PCGS, the standard in the rare coin grading industry. U.S. coin designer Emily Damstra is now hand-signing labels for PCGS. With more than 10 U.S. coin designs under her belt, Damstra is a next-generation coin artist. For more information on how to request Emily Damstra sign labels on your next submission, visit the PCGS special labels page at pcgs.com forward slash labels. This week on the Coin Week podcast, my dear friend Barbara Gregory, editor of The Numismatist, joins me to talk about her tenure as editor of the magazine of record for the hobby and some of the more interesting articles and topics that she's covered over the course of her decades-long career. Hi, Barbara. Thanks for joining me in the Coin Week podcast. Well, thanks, Charles. It's my pleasure. You know, of all the people in the industry, I can't think of anybody on the publishing side who has held and maintained a more bedrock position for telling the story of the numismatic hobby over the course of the past three or four decades and who has had a bigger impact in transforming the standards of hobby publications as you have as the editor of the Journal of Record, the ANA's Numismatist. So I'm absolutely delighted to have you on. Well, um, I'm delighted to hear you say that. I, I always love um, uh, talking to folks who enjoy the magazine, and, and truly the magazine's just been such a, a labor of love for me, and hopefully that, that shows in the publication. So my first question I have to ask, uh, I hear that you're planning to retire next year, is uh, why are you leaving us? Why am I leaving? Well, you know, I've, I've been working on the staff of the numismatist for 38 years, and although I really love my job and I feel that I, I'm, I'm still good at it, um, I'm, I'm getting weary of the monthly deadlines and, uh, we'd like to, um, what do they say, uh, always, uh, you know, want to, want to spend more time with my family. So uh, I'm looking forward to that, but I still hope to be involved in uh, numismatics and, and various capacities. And so my uh, uh, retirement date is uh, next April, uh, April 15th, 2020. So are you planning on doing a big final issue uh, to end your run, or will this be a seamless transition from one hand to the next? It is going to be a very smooth transition, and I don't think uh, most readers are, are going to notice um, any difference at all. We've got a, uh, a great uh, managing editor, uh, Caleb Noel, and I've been working with Caleb for about five years here, and he probably is one of the most talented staff members I've ever had. He he really um, uh, gets it. He he understands um, the editing process, uh, the layout process, the magazine management, um, and so I think he's going to be a wonderful choice for uh, taking over for me when I leave. I think when he takes over, Caleb will become the youngest editor in the numismatist history. Am I am I correct in that? I I think so. I was uh, I was. 32 um, when I uh, uh, became uh, production editor uh, of, of the magazine, and then I think uh, around 36 when I was uh, named uh, editor. And uh, so Caleb uh, is um, not quite 30, so he's going to hopefully bring a, a fresh perspective to the magazine, uh, and yet one that is uh, very professional and competent. 
Let's talk about perspectives in the magazine. Of course, over the course of your tenure at the Numismatist, the hobby has changed quite a bit. And I assume that in your position as editor of the magazine of record for the American branch of the hobby, uh, that you would have had a bird's eye view on all of it. How challenging was it as somebody producing a publication like the Numismatist, one that is you know, directly tied to the ANA, uh, to accurately and faithfully cover the challenges and changes in the hobby uh, when not all of it you know, was uh, seen as positive by collectors at the time? Uh, especially when it's the ANA's mission, you know, to evangelize the the importance of numismatics to the uh, general public. Well, over those um, decades, um, I I have seen that ANA membership has risen and fallen, and um, but I also noticed that the core membership has remained stable at about twenty five thousand members, and that kind of bolsters my belief that the hobby appeals to a finite group of people and those with an interest in, in the history, art, culture, or science. And But that said, I, I don't think that the hobby is doomed. I, I, I really believe if we sow the seeds of numismatic study in our schools and promote the hobby's link to history, that people will turn to coin collecting when uh, their time and finances allow. I, I think so many folks in the hobby are always, you know, they're on that that um, bandwagon where, you know, oh gosh, you know, we've got to increase membership. We've got to get more kids involved. And I I think it's a fine idea, but I don't think it's a very practical idea. Um, as I said, the average um, child uh, who's not, doesn't have an interest in history or in art um isn't isn't going to find um, coin collecting appealing, and so uh, just to um, mention an article that we ran in the Numismatist several years ago by Dennis Tucker, um, who is the publisher of uh, for Whitman Publishing, and he mentioned very succinctly uh, this this very same thing that um, that our efforts would be uh, uh, better spent. Uh, Getting kids interested in history, and and as I said, you know, perhaps it, uh, showing them in classrooms how numismatics plays a part in that, and then as time goes on, as I said, they'll 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 come back to the hobby, um, and uh, help to keep our ranks um, strong, um, and along the same lines, you know, talk about publishing, when the digital media became so popular. Um, folks said that that print was dead, and I think we can all see that that's that's not the case. Um, you know, they thought that bookstores were going to close all over America, and and that that just isn't true. There are there are things like printed books, like numismatics, that hold a special appeal for a certain kind of people, and I really believe that that will continue on um, for a good long time. I have every issue of the numismatist in my library dating back to probably 1904. Um, and I've hardbound these volumes and I refer to them quite frequently. And I think through those pages, the pageant of the numismatic hobby is told. And as a devotee of the numismatist uh, and several magazines, I think that there are always runs of a magazine uh, where it's at its best. It is achieving all it could be at the time. 
And I think with the numismatist, we've had three or four golden periods. And now I think in the past few years of your tenure, I would count that as one of those golden periods. Well, and, and that's, that's great to hear. I think um, uh, our, our surveys have shown that 42% of our members never throw their magazines away. And, and there's a lot of people like you have, who have gone uh, uh, back to assemble uh, a collection of some of the, the older issues. Um, you know, the numismatist has a special niche in the, in, among hobby publications. And I, I really don't believe there's another publication that does quite what we do. Um, yes, we, we do try to keep current uh, and, and bring uh, uh, news that our, our readers can use about what's going on in the hobby. Um, but our real focus is, as you said, presenting those really great, memorable feature articles um, that many of, of which have changed uh, numismatic thinking and history. Um, and that's that's a really special place to be. You know, our, our the content and quality of the uh, magazine many, many years ago, um, even when it was in its little six by nine inch uh, black and white format was always great and uh, but it sure looks a lot more appealing now uh, I think the larger format and four color layout have done much to increase uh, the magazine's popularity and we've also tried to make the publication more engaging and personal we want readers to know that they're not alone in their collecting challenges and I I, I, I really feel that we have accomplished that and, uh, and I hope you agree. Uh, absolutely. One of the great things you find when you go through the archives is that you find within the pages of the uh, numismatist, the personality of the ANA comes out. You know, researchers may wonder, what were contemporary opinions of new coin designs as they rolled out? Well, all you'd really have to do is go dig through the pages of the numismatist, and you'd find out what collectors uh, thought of them, and pretty much they all hated them. Uh, from the Peace Dollar to the St. Gaudens 20 to Schlag's Jefferson Nickel design, it's all in black and white. It's all on the page. And you see these opinions in the numismatist because at its heart, it's a club publication. And it has that familiar element to it. These collectors are your peers. Uh, their opinions are opinions they would share to you if they were in, in front of you. And as a reader, you find yourself part of this larger community. And, uh, He'll get, you know, also other things like in-depth details about the upcoming conventions or who went to the convention. You get the photos. You get to see the hotel that hosted them. You get to see uh, who gave the A&A the key to the city and what was being set up for the spouses and what jaunts across, you know, the major cities in their golden period happened. Um, and this is what it feels like to me reading the magazine. Uh, so I think this has maintained uh, the numismatist personality through the decades, even as it's become a much more polished and professional product. And I think um, in, when I look back at the older issues, I, I love reading the commentary of the magazine's uh, founder, Dr. George Heath. He was um, he was really quite the uh, writer and could spin a, a really marvelous tale. And his analogies uh, were always um, very interesting and and kind of heartwarming in a way when he would talk about uh, you know the fellowship of of uh, coin collectors and the the good ship Numisma you know sailing forth on on calm seas. Uh, it was it was wonderful prose and I. I wish um, 
you know, sometimes I try to recall that in what we do in our in the current publication, but I, I do try to balance it out um, a bit, you know, to make sure that we we address the, the needs of our readers and and still make them feel that they're uh, a member of a of a big club. What are the toughest topics that you had to cover? Um, well, some years ago we experienced some difficulties with A and A leadership. Um, Times were pretty tense, and uh, many employees just pretty much kept their their heads down and, and just did their work. Um, but uh, because the numismatist is a publication of record, we felt it should be reporting on these issues. But uh, again, as I said, it, it was difficult to, to know how to approach these. But ultimately, we limited our coverage to reports of uh, the legal proceedings only. And uh, what was interesting to me was that our our readers made it clear that although they were concerned for the health of the association, they really did not want to read about ANA politics in their hobby publication. You probably received a ton of letters and feedback from members over these matters. Uh, I know someone outside the organization, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i a member of the ANA, but as someone who doesn't work inside the belly of the beast, um, you probably get a lot of feedback about the hardships that the ANA experienced due to a series of personnel matters that unfolded in the last decade or so. Uh, for a period of time, I think people outside uh, of the, you know, in the hobby, uh, thought the association was adrift, you know. And now that we have uh, several years of good governance under its belt, the ANA's prospects are going in the right direction. So we did get through that. Uh, as a result, you know, do you feel like the morale at the ANA has significantly improved? I mean, has your outlook on what's going on improved along with it? Oh, definitely. I think um, uh, that. The uh, folks working here at ANA headquarters are enjoying their work. They're they're confident that their work is appreciated. I think they feel secure in their positions. Um, and you know, granted, I I tend to be a little bit of a, of a Pollyanna here, and I have a, a bit of a reputation for that. But I I really consider the ANA to be a a, a big family. And um, uh, granted. Uh, even in a family, you don't always get along with everyone all the time. But there, there really uh, I, tends to be a, a great deal of mutual respect um, and courtesy among the employees here at the ANA. And I, I get the feeling that over the last few years, that that everyone is is comfortable and and secure in the uh, uh, direction that the ANA is taking and uh, uh, is ready to put aside any worries that they might have had and, and concentrate on their on their work and, and serving our membership. What were the most rewarding articles that you published? Were there people that you really enjoyed working with during your tenure? You know, that's that's a tough question. Um, I've produced over 450 editions of The Numismatist during my 38 years here at the ANA. But I think I would have to cite Eric Newman's study in the November 1983 issue about Ben Franklin and his creation of the chain design for continental currency. You know, his original research um, changed numismatic history, I believe. Um, and uh, more recently, the two-part study by Eric Goldstein and David McCarthy in 2018, and I think that the name of the article was The Myth of the Continental Dollar. Um, I thought that was pretty special. Uh, it too challenged uh, a lot of traditional concepts. And what I think is really marvelous too about the hobby and the magazine is that you can see how thinking has 
changes over the decades. You know, in, in the 1980s when um, Eric wrote this article, it was a game changer um, for uh, quite some time. And uh, and as we all know too, there there are luminaries in the hobby, and uh, and they they pretty much define um, what uh, people know uh, about. Uh, Early American numismatics and and going forward to the present time, but then you've got new folks coming on board, um, and Eric Goldstein and and David McCarthy are not new by any means. You know they've been writing uh, with some regularity in the numismatist for at least the last uh, ten or fifteen years. Um, but isn't it great that they have the knowledge and the drive to to uh, come up and question some of the long-held beliefs, and put out and do some original research and uh, present their own take on on the uh, uh, numismatic literature and and what is known about American numismatics. Um, so I I'm very excited about that, and uh, and I hope to see that kind of scholarship continue in the magazine as we go forward. Do you find that you know, given sometimes these articles? Uh, disrupt the status quo when it comes to our understanding of coins, or, or maybe sometimes even ersatz coins, that the piece you published about continental dollars had to be treated with an additional layer of sensitivity due to the value these objects have in the marketplace, and that the potential for an article like this to hurt their value and, and by extension, the collectors who own them? Um, I have to say that um, that the financial sides, the financial side of numismatics very seldom occurs to me. Um, and I think part of that comes with, you know, working for a nonprofit where our our goal is to, is to give people the tools uh, they need to uh, succeed in the hobby and to offer them, uh, uh, and in my case, to offer them an entertaining and informative publication. Um, I, I do always find it interesting when, uh, for example, the SS Central America, when uh, that treasure began to appear on the market, how that truly um, changed uh, the value of, of pieces uh, in, in folks' collections because all of a sudden there were specimens uh, flooding the market when before the, the specimens were um, uh, the known specimens were limited, and so that I you know I as I said I find fascinating. But overall, um, I'm I'm always concerned with what is what does numismatics tell us about about our our history and our culture, and uh, and I and I leave the uh, collecting uh, part and the and the values uh, up to the. Uh, uh, the folks who are who are buying and selling. As the editor of Coin Week, that is always an issue that we face. We are more market driven, and we publish content about current trends in the market, and we try to be completely uh, agnostic about it. You know, just tell you what's actually happening. We're not we don't have a dog in the race. Uh, I just had a conversation a couple weeks ago with uh, John Feigenbaum, the publisher of CDN, and he told me that there's no shortage of stakeholders who feel that they know better about what coins are worth than those who follow public auctions and survey the market landscape and are professional analysts. Uh, and many of these complainers, of course, they're going to be dealers, um, but also collectors. So it, it seems that a piece like the one David McCarthy worked on would be especially profound 
because the implications that that point of view uh, being accepted has long term for continental dollars and may result in permanent effects on those valuations. Yeah, and and that's true with a, a lot of our articles uh, in the magazine. We have a, a core of contributing editors um, who uh, I will I, I send articles to, and they weigh in on uh, what they think about what's being presented. Is it accurate? Um, it, you know, is is the research solid? And so you're right. I think at some point um, you have to ta- you have to take a leap and and say like this this is this is important research. Let's let's put it out there. Um, let's have a, a conversation about this. Um, oftentimes, uh, you know, we'll we'll publish an article and and we and we get some feedback from from readers or other scholars and other collectors and. I think that's equally as important as, as putting the information out there is to have that dialogue and that conversation. If it engenders uh, some discussion, then I'm delighted. Uh, one more thing before I go. Um, I know I agitated for this at the beginning of the year uh, at the ANA Symposium. Um, I challenged the ANA to take up my charge and to get the numismatist on bookstore magazine racks. What is the progress of this project? Well, um, as a matter of fact, it, it, it not only is going to be a reality, it is a reality. This, uh, this month, the numismatist, uh, debuted at, uh, Barnes and Noble bookstores across the country. And, um, it is in, uh, 621 stores nationwide. Uh, granted, it may not, uh, be in all of those stores going forward. Uh, they will study uh, the the success of its distribution there over the next few months, and then adjust uh, the print orders ac- accordingly. But uh, it really is my hope that um, that the, that Barnes and Noble is is a good audience for us, as I as I believe it is, and um, and that if nothing else, it it will be really wonderful national exposure for our magazine and for the hobby in general. Um, the fact that you had mentioned it um, uh, earlier uh, in the year and uh, uh, was was really wonderful. It gave us the impetus to investigate it again. Actually, uh, probably about 15 years ago, uh, the numismatist had been ex- accepted by Barnes & Noble um, even then, but it was just a, a program that we did not follow through on, and uh, but and it it had been on the newsstand in some other different types of stores that really weren't our audience, and it, and it was not successful. But I I uh, I really hope that uh, sitting up alongside uh, a lot of some of the other uh, wonderful numismatic publications out there, like Coins Magazine and Coin World and Coin Age, uh, that people will. Um, see the title, The Numismatist, and say, hmm, what's that, and pick it up and get interested. Are you able to uh, disclose uh, the increase in the distribution for the, the first issue? Um, you know, it's not as much as you might think. We we produced about uh, maybe an additional 4,500 copies. Um, okay. And But that's, that, is, that is typical for Barnes & Noble, uh, for, for them to have, you know, five to ten copies per store. Um, and they, interestingly, they had mentioned when we were um, uh, negotiating uh, this deal that um, uh, Coin World typically sells about 1,600 copies 
on uh, through Barnes and Noble, and and they felt that that was a very um, uh, reasonable showing. Um, and so uh, it's it's a different if it's it's a different approach. And so as I said, it may not seem like a lot, but the fact that uh, you know you do have a, a, a dedicated uh, audience who who goes to Barnes and Noble just to browse around and look at things. And so I uh, I, I really hope that the, that the numismatists will will catch their attention. And uh, we're just doing a six month trial right now, but I hope that it. Um, uh, proves successful enough that we'll keep it going. Well, um, this is what you can do if you're listening to this podcast. If you want to support the ANA and the numismatist uh, being on magazine racks, go out to your local bookstore. Even if you're an ANA member, even if you get a digital copy or you get a copy in the mail, uh, and go buy a copy. And uh, when you do, go tell the manager at that location that you appreciate that they have decided to carry the magazine and that you hope that they will continue to do so. Um, and uh, this will go a long way in informing the store that the Numismatist is a magazine worth ordering and carrying, that the Numismatist is a quality product, and that the ANA is an organization that people want to learn about. If you are not a member of the ANA, the Numismatist is a world-class numismatic magazine. Supporting it is not just investment into yourself, but it's also investment into the growth of the hobby uh, and, uh, and finding your place in it. So that's my plug. Um, if we want to grow the hobby, we have to go outside of our circle. We have to speak to the non-initiated. And uh, if we want people to spend money on these coins, uh, we have to be relevant. And we have to be where people are. Um, you know, we operate with this concept of mine in Coin Week. And I'm glad to see the ANA taking a bold direction with the numismatist. Oh, thanks so much, Charles. It was a pleasure to talk with you today. Well, uh, thank you, Barbara, for joining us, and thank you for all the hard work you put into the magazine on behalf of all of us. I will personally miss your work at The Numismatist. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends. Remember, you can download all 100-plus episodes of the Coin Week podcast sponsored by PCKS from the iTunes Store. For Coin Week, I'm Charles Morgan. Until next time. Happy collecting.